We're going to be looking at a number of passages this morning and end up in 1 John. <clears throat> it's going to take us a little while to get there, so just be patient with me this morning. I have, uh, I have a number of tools at my house. I have three tools that all have something in common. Actually, I really like these tools. One is my Makita drill. I built a log house up in Roseau, and an hour into the project, I had six guys there with me. I, I burned out three drills, and I went to the hardware store. I said, give me the best drill you have. And they gave me this Makita. <clears throat> and I built the whole house with that thing. I've used it for 20 years. And I remember the day when it quit working. I just about threw it in the trash. <clears throat> then I had a a craftsman belt sander, four-inch sander, and I just used the life out of that, and one day that quit. And I just about threw it in the trash. I also have a compressor that quit working, and I nearly threw that in the trash. But I like to kind of take things apart when they don't work. You know that on every one of those tools, after you use a tool for a while, a while, right where it hooks onto the handle, you know, you're always bending it and twisting it. And what happens is inside of that insulation, there's a wire that cracks. And I'm still using all those tools today. They still work fine. And the only problem with those tools is that they were not getting power. And I just about threw them away. There are people today that are throwing marriages away and families away and lives away, and ministries away and all kinds of things away. And there's nothing wrong in essence with what they have, but there's a wire broken and the power is not coming into these people's lives. There's one more thing that we sometimes throw away and that people throw away, and that is prayer. People say, you know, I just, I don't know, I, I tried it, it doesn't work, I, I pray, I don't feel like God's there, He doesn't answer my prayers, it just, prayer doesn't work. It just seems like God isn't listening. Well, maybe God isn't listening. That is a very real possibility, that God is not listening to your prayers. <clears throat> I'd like you to think about that with me this morning. I'm going to show you right off. We're going to look at a number of verses. I'd like you to look at Psalm with me. You'll see these up on the wall. You can follow on Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had treasured sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So... What the psalmist says is, if, if I treasure sin, if there's something I'm treasuring that's sinful in my heart, God may not listen to me. So God may not be listening. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Your sins have hidden his face from you. 
Does God hear? Yeah, God always hears. God knows everything you say. It's not that he doesn't hear, but what God is saying when he says, I don't listen, is he says, I'm not going to respond to you. Even though it may be things I would like to give you, even though they are good things that you are asking for, I'm, I'm not going to listen. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will do this, if they'll humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, notice that word turn, from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. And will heal, forgive their sins and heal their lamb. And so, as people humble themselves, that's important. As people seek me, that's important. As people pray, that's important. But it's also as we turn. It's as, and to the people of Israel, the Lord was looking for them to turn. He's looking for them to respond in obedience to Him. Now, I think we can all understand this. Let's use the case of Jimmy. Okay, here's Jimmy. We can all understand it. Jimmy's not very old, and his mother goes out of the room for just a moment. And she said, Jimmy, don't touch those paint cans on the counter. Okay, <clears throat> there's white carpet on the floor. So here's Jimmy, all right, and uh, his mom comes in the room, he looks up, and he says, Mom, can I have a popsicle? Now what does his mother say? Oh, sure, just a minute, I'll go get you the popsicle. No, she said, Jimmy, what are you doing? I told you not to play with the cans. There will be no popsicles for Jimmy, okay? She runs out of the room to get a rag, and she comes back. And, and here's Jimmy. Now he's got the second can. And uh, these are real shots, by the way. And he looks up and says, Mom, can we have a movie and popcorn tonight? What do you think she's going to say? There will be no popsicles. There will be no movie. There will be no popcorn. Why? Because Mom doesn't like popsicles or movies or popcorn. No. But because her child is not responding to her. He is not listening to her. He is not obeying her. So, we can all understand that. We all understand. And so mom is saying, no, no, until you start to mind that there will be no privileges. We can all understand that. And, and God is saying that to us here in his word. You know, we are saved by nothing that we do. If you're saved, you're saved by God's grace. And that uh, we preach that and we teach that. But what we have to remember here, you know, Jimmy here was, he was born, he had nothing to do with the fact that he was a child of his mother who came into the room. But he has a lot to do with how mom and dad are going to respond to him, doesn't he? And his willingness to mind and be obedient and so forth is going to determine the response of his parents. You are saved by God's grace, but our actions and how we live our lives and our response to God is going to determine his actions. And God is saying, when you are living in disobedience to me, I don't, I don't hear your requests for these other things. There's a more important issue going on. In fact, I will withhold those things because we have an issue here. 
We see that all throughout the Bible. First uh, Samuel 15. I'm just going to give you a few quick examples here. First Samuel 15. Saul has just been appointed the king of Israel, and God says, Sam, uh, Saul, I want you to go out and destroy these people, the Amalekites. They have been opposing Israel since the day they left Egypt. In fact, they have been so oppositional to my people that I want you to go out and destroy them. I don't want you to save a man, woman, child, or anything. Everything is to be destroyed. And so Saul goes out and defeats the king and his armies, but he, he keeps the king because he kind of, it was kind of like a trophy. And then they thought it was a, the people thought it was a waste, you know, to kill all these nice, all these good sheep and oxen. So Saul comes to Samuel the prophet and says, hey, we did what the Lord commanded. Samuel goes, that's funny, why do I hear sheep bleeding and oxen? Well, the people wanted to, they wanted to keep them and make a sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel says, Saul, Saul, it is better to obey than sacrifice. And this day your kingdom will be taken from you. We see many, many examples. Proverbs 15, 9. Just read through these. <clears throat> Just read through a few of these. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but He loves those who pursue righteousness. Who pursue righteousness. James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. It doesn't just say prayer is effective. It says the prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful. 1 Peter 3.12 The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then our passage for this morning. 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to come to this verse. I want to just back up. And if, if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me from 1 John. But... I'm going to back up here just a little bit. <clears throat> John, 1 John chapter 3. I'm going, be, I'm going to read verses 19 through 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him and then notice what it says. Because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commands abides in Him and He in them. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He's given us. So the prayer promise here is this. Verse 22. It says, whatever we ask, we receive from Him. And here's the condition. Because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. Because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. So, am I saying that the quality and the power of our prayer life is directly dependent upon our obedience to God? That's exactly what these scriptures are teaching us. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 15. 
And you'll notice there are just a lot of passages that speak about this. John 15. Listen to what Jesus says here in verse 4. He says, Abide in me and I in you. So we're to abide in Christ and then we'll bear much fruit. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So if we're abiding, we have a powerful prayer life. That's what it's saying. If you abide in me, you can ask and I will hear you. We have this powerful prayer life. So how do we abide? It's very clear. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Why was Jesus' life so powerful? Do you know that Jesus had no more power to do anything than you do? He was fully human. For the first 30 years of his life, we heard we hear nothing, really nothing of any miracles that Jesus did. So what happens in the course of his ministry? We read over and over again, Jesus said, I, I say what I hear the Father saying, and I do what I hear the Father telling me to do. And as I do that, Jesus tells us that the power of the Father flowed through him. The power of the Father flowed through him because of his obedience to his Father. Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm doing a lot of passages here because I just want you to see how pervasive this is throughout the New Testament and the Bible. Ephesians 6, we're to put on the armor of God. The last thing that we're supposed to do is pray. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of requests for all the saints. The first thing we do is put on the belt of truth. Now, the belt of truth, it's not talking about the scripture there. If you read down in that passage about putting on the armor of God, He'll talk a little bit later. He says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So what is the belt of truth? The belt of truth is, is putting aside hypocrisy in our lives. Being truthful with who we are and with God. And it really is getting here to living a truthful life. A life that is in line with God's truth. And so... You know, if I call myself a Christian, you know, Jesus said, there'll be people and I'll say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? That doesn't match up. That's hypocritical. And so as we live in the truth, we find that we begin to experience more and more of this power. One more verse, Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Okay? He was heard because of his reverent submission. Another translation of that says, Jesus, he, he, learned, uh, he learned obedience through his suffering. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And so we see here that what we see here is that to obey is to suffer, but to obey is to have a righteous life, and to have a righteous life is to have a, a powerful prayer experience. If you're a dad and you are praying for your kids or your family, to be righteous is incredibly powerful. 
If your wife praying for your family or your husband to be living in righteousness will determine the effectiveness of your prayers. For myself as a pastor, as God brings us a new vision, it's critical that I take serious the level of righteousness in my own life. Prayer is no substitute for obedience. Prayer is no substitute for obedience. Prayer is not a decoy so that we can kind of just keep doing our own thing, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll spend time praying before God, but then we'll kind of go over here and do our own thing. God is not fooled by that decoy. He sees right through that. 1 John 3.22. We'll see it again. And we receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. That is the condition and the promise of an effective prayer life. A.W. Tozer writes this. Have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on and how little revival has resulted? I believe the problem is that we've been trying to substitute praying for obeying, and it simply will not work. To pray for revival while ignoring the plain precept laid down in Scripture is to waste a lot of words and get nothing for our trouble. Prayer will become effective when we stop using it as a substitute for obedience. And we can flip that around. When we become obedient, we will notice the power of God flowing through our prayer life. One more thing about this. Because this is more than just outward obedience. This is more than just outward obedience. I mean, we saw in the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus' day, people who outwardly were obeying, you know, they were obeying all the laws. They were keeping supposedly all the rules. Except, of course, the most important one, which was to love the people around them. This wonderful thing called prayer will only be as wonderful as our heart to obey. As our, our heart to obey. You know, prayer is not getting something. Prayer is not coming to God and getting what we want. You know, that's kind of like going back to you know, the old Santa Claus days where, you know, he's looking whether we're naughty or nice. And if we're, if we're nice, then we get our list. Prayer isn't like that. The heart of prayer that's being talked about here is a heart that desires obedience. It comes to God and says, God, what do you want me to do? Not, God, this is what I want, but God, what do you want? That reflects a very different heart of obedience. It's interesting, in, in 2 Chronicles 25.2, Amaziah is a king. And here's what it says about him. It says, he did what was right, yet not with a whole heart. You know the Matthew West song, Going Through the Motions? It's kind of what this king was doing. He was going through the motions. He was doing what he was supposed to, but he wasn't doing it with his whole heart. That's like the story of the prodigal son. Most of us know the story. Two brothers, one of them asks for his inheritance early, goes off and blows the whole thing. The other brother stays back and works on the farm. One day the younger brother decides, you know, 
at least I can go back and be a servant. And he comes back and his father's overjoyed to see him and throws this party. And the younger son is outside pouting. <coughs> and he's ticked off. And this is what he said to his dad. Dad, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Now you're giving all this attention to the other brother in this party. He never threw a party for me. And of course, Jesus was comparing this elder brother to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And what he's saying to his, this, older, this older son was, you, you've missed it. You, you don't understand my grace. You don't understand my love. You're just doing this out of, evidently, out of just duty. And the father looks his son in the eye and he says, Son, everything I have is yours. And the son had missed that. Because his, his heart was not, he, he, had, he had not connected with his father's heart in that way. The point this morning is, is and it's really just one point that I'm saying this morning is as we talk about this life of prayer and experiencing this connectedness with God and seeing God responding to our prayers and knowing how to pray, which is a big part of it, knowing how to pray. Obedience is, is a huge part of that. And so probably the first thing that we should do if we're seeking a more effective life with God is begin to set aside some time and sit down with God and say, God, are there things in my life you have told me? that I have ignored? Are there things that I have just put on the back shelf that you have spoken to me about and I haven't responded to you? And ask God to show you what are those things in your life that He is wanting to you to respond to? What are those areas of righteousness that He wants you to move into? And what you'll find is these promises are, you know, the prayers of righteous people are really powerful. But when we're living in unrighteousness, something gets short-circuited. And there's a crack in the cord, and it, and it doesn't work. And we don't experience the power of God in our lives. I'm going to conclude this morning with a story. <clears throat> and uh, this young man... I, I want you to notice his demeanor. Because this is one tough dude. And when you hear him talk, you're going to see a man that was transformed uh, by an encounter with God. And just notice just the gentle, quiet spirit of this man as, as he talks about how, how God dealt with him in this area of obedience uh, in his own life. He created a very intense, a very uh, chaotic atmosphere at the home. I would have some of my friends that come, come over to me and say, Hey, Craig, uh, your dad is sleeping on the bench over in the park over here or over there. You need to go and you have to try to help him get home. Um, that's very embarrassing. Uh, he was very abusive towards my mom. He would go out drinking, and then when he would come back in, he would uh, physically abuse her. Um, from time to time, he would physically abuse me. Uh, beat up on me. My dad singled me out, I think, because I was 
primarily most outgoing. Me, I was the one who was out playing sports and play every sport you can think of. I was known uh, around the neighborhood as a guy who uh, was very aggressive in terms of when it got to sports, I would do whatever it took to win. Because of the relationship I had with my father, uh, and because of the abusiveness that went on in that relationship and the abuse that I had witnessed with him and my mom, um, I had a lot of resentment towards him, a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger. The thing was is that I, I stayed so guarded. I never spoke about my family life. Uh, I never talked about my dad. My friends knew I had, you know, an older brother, a younger sister. Uh, they knew who my mom was. But in their minds, my dad was... Uh, probably dead because I never brought him up in conversation. After my mom and my dad got divorced, my mom made sure we went to church as long as I can remember. And uh, no matter how much we screamed, kicked, fought about not wanting to go, we went. Uh, when I was in high school, I began to um, rebel in a sense. Do you know, my, my mom would pray. I mean, I, I could hear my mom as clear as today when she would pray sometimes after uh, my dad would leave the house. And I would say, well, for what? Why? Even though she was praying, nothing changed. His heart didn't change. So by the time I got to my senior year of high school, uh, church wasn't even an afterthought. So after college, I uh, worked for a couple of companies and, and I finally landed a job at American Express. You know, even after all those years, I still had uh, in my heart uh, a lot of bitterness, resentment, and anger towards my dad. That was primarily my driving force, to, to not be like him. After a period of time, doing quite a bit of traveling, we started refocusing on, on our next project. And uh, I had to spend some time back in the office, back in New York. So that, that gave me an opportunity to catch up on things around the house and uh, be home more. And because of that, uh, it was uh, coming home to an empty apartment. And for the first time, I had the opportunity uh, to actually sit there and God started to speak into my life about my dad. And it's as if God was sitting in the room with me. Uh, I began to just uh, talk with him and say, you know, God, why did it have to be that way? Why didn't I have a dad that would take me out and instead of abusing me physically, throw the baseball with me or throw the football with me? Um, why didn't I have that as a child? And God began to deal with me on that. For me to forgive you for all the things that you've done, you have to first begin to forgive others. And from that point, for the first time, I really began to open up and weep before God and realize that this whole anger and bitterness that I had allowed to simmer in my heart for so many years, I had to begin to let go. It was a very emotional evening. I, uh, I, that was the first time I actually allowed tears to come into my eyes. And it was as if God was holding me in his arms, like a, a mother would pat a baby or a father would hold their son to them and go, okay, son, it's okay. Dad, daddy's here now. You can let it, all that pent up pain, you, you can let it go now, Craig. The 
last opportunity that I had to actually see my dad alive was when he was actually on his deathbed. I felt compassion. Even though he didn't know what was going on, I kind of made peace in my own little way of saying, you know, I don't know what forced you or what pushed you to do these things or behave this way, but I forgive you and I love you. That was probably the one thing that I wish I would have had the opportunity to actually look into his eyes and let him know that I had no anger no more. I had given up the anger. God helps me with it. And it helps me in the sense that now when that he has me in a place where I mentor a lot of young men and, 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 and talk to a lot of people, uh, the one thing I encourage them is to make sure that those you have around you, you love them and you let them know you love them. And that if they, they do something to hurt you, don't harbor bitterness in your heart because if you do, if you harbor the anger, it's gonna affect, cut off your vertical relationship with God and it also affects your horizontal relationship with others. Father, we thank you for the story of this young man. Lord, that's just one area in his life that, that you brought to his heart and his mind. And Lord, we would, Lord, as we are on this journey of learning to pray, Father, help us to see those barriers that hinder what you want us to experience in the life of prayer. Lord, help us to see this connection that we've seen so clearly from your word today between obedience and living righteously and, and having an effective prayer life. Lord, I, I pray for each one of us that we would... Uh, <clears throat> or perhaps today it's, been, it's very clear to some of us something that you have spoken to us about that we have ignored. Or, Lord, maybe we just need to take some time and, and hear your voice. Lord, we're all growing. We're all maturing. We all have things in our lives that, that you need to speak to us about. Some of those things maybe years down the road. Lord, what is it now, Father? What is it right now in this place, in this time in our lives that you're calling us to respond to you? So, Lord, give us that kind of heart that that desires to know, and, and when we find out, Lord is, is willing to step out and even suffer, if that's what it means to follow you. And so we, we just thank you for uh, teaching us today by your spirit. Lord, just continue to, to speak to us as we just, we just quiet ourselves as we receive our offering today, Lord. We just give this time to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.